Hi! Welcome to the CGB Sports Show podcast for this weekend. The Bombers opening their CFL season Saturday night. Bob Irving stops by to give a preview of that, plus his take on the Raptors winning the NBA title. Speaking of the Raptors, the big man panel, Ty Jordan, Kyle Milroy, two big Raptors fans, celebrate the championship with me and talk about what this means and maybe what's next for Golden State. And Cheryl Adler, former executive director of Racquetball Canada, a Winnipegger, receiving a great honor from that organization. She'll talk about the importance of women in sports with me on the podcast. Winnipeg Blue Bombers, as I mentioned, taking on BC tomorrow night. And that's where we find Bob Irving right now. Bob, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing all right, Christian. I heard your comment about the Raptors and there being an asterisk. And that's, I know, one of the things that I've been hearing today here uh, about whether or not they should get full credit. I think that's unfair to them. I really do. And now we could make the argument that if, you know, the Golden State hadn't had the injuries they had, they might have or probably would have won. But, you know, when you look back at championship teams over the years, uh, they've often played against an opponent that had a key player out with an injury. So I just think that's grossly unfair. And five years from now, or even two years from now, uh, I think nobody will be talking no. about that. It'll just be that the Raptors won the championship. I agree with you on this one. And you've you've been covering sports for a long time. How would you kind of characterize the way basketball has progressed in the Canadian fandom since Toronto even came into existence 25 years ago? Yeah, I think the key will be uh, the staying power next year. Uh, It was easy to get on the Raptors train these last few weeks, and certainly it captivated the country. I think the television ratings demonstrated that really in a graphic way. Uh, Prior to the Raptors' success this year, uh, the Raptor TV ratings outside of southern Ontario weren't very good. As a matter of fact, in the West, I was told over the years that the NBA – really didn't register in terms of any big numbers. There's fans, of course, but not in large numbers. But uh, so the key is next year, Christian, will, you know, will people all of a sudden be following the NBA who never have before? Uh, I guess I would question that to some degree, especially if Kawhi Leonard leaves. I don't know how much interest there will be in the Raptors in the regular season. But what they've done this year is created an awareness that wasn't there, and it can only help them down the road. Well, I remember the Game 7 of the Philly series in Round 2 set a viewership record, something like 2.5 million viewers. Last night's game averaged 7.7 million right. viewers, and that's something that probably can't be topped just because that they won the championship in that game. But yeah. definitely we'll see what happens down the road. Let's uh, pivot to football now. You're in Vancouver to call the Winnipeg Blue Bombers game tomorrow night. Is the optimism surrounding the team this year, we saw the media poll this week and a lot of experts picking Winnipeg to win the West, is this as optimistic people have been about their chances since they last won a great cup? Yeah, I would say it's pretty close. Actually, 2001 would be the year where people were most optimistic. The team was 14-4 and that year, Christian, and they played an 8-10 and Calgary team in the great cup. And it's a game that... Uh, you know, when you look back, now they probably shouldn't have lost, but they did. And that's, as I've said a million times, that's the beauty of sport. But other than that year, I would say this year, uh, the optimism is as legitimate as it's been. This team has been building the last three years. They've had a good record. They've been in the playoffs. They've gathered together a core of players and kept uh, the large part of it together, certainly more than any other team in the CFL. So I think the reason for optimism is there. That's why people across the country, a lot of them are picking the Bombers to win the West, to finish first in the West 
Uh, it all makes sense to me. Now all the bombers have to do is go out and do it. And, of course, it's always easier said than done, isn't it? Absolutely. And when it comes to the West, it's as loaded as it's probably ever been. And that's partly because of what the BC Lions did in the offseason. They go and get Mike Riley. They made the playoffs last year, did the crossover, and got crushed in Hamilton. How do you view the BC Lions this season? You know, I'm not quite sure what to make of the BC Lions. Uh, certainly we all know about Mike Riley and what a tremendous player he is and what a difference maker he is. And he's got some weapons in Brian Burnham, who's as good a receiver as there is in the league. And Deron Carter, if he's got his head screwed on right, can be a, a very dangerous player. So they've got some weapons, their old line. I was talking to some uh, guys close to the team today, and they said their offensive line's going to be pretty good, and that'll only help Mike Riley. So it looks like their defense will be, or rather their offense will be dangerous, Christian. Defensively, boy, I've got a lot of questions. Uh, you know, they've got uh, probably five or six new starters from last year. I don't know how strong their linebacking core will be, their front four. They've got some vets back in the secondary that look pretty good. So, And they've lost their kicker. This is one of the overlooked things with B.C., they had a kicker tie long last year at a 48-yard punt average and made just about every field goal he tried, including a lot of long ones, and he's gone to the NFL. So Sergio Castillo, who mm. was with the Bombers a couple yeah. of years ago, will be their kicker. And, and he's okay. Sergio, he's a very competent kicker, but he's not. he can't flip the field the way that, that Ty Long did. So I don't know. There's questions over the, over the BC Lions, and we'll get some answers tomorrow night, certainly not definitive answers, but we'll get a better read on them when we see them in action tomorrow night. And that's really the big thing here is preseason didn't tell us anything. And we're kind of just talking for a long time about what could happen, what might happen. And finally, we get to see what actually does happen tomorrow. Well, that's right. And, you know, that game last night, sort of a classic example of, uh, you know, Hamilton didn't look very good. As a matter of fact, I thought they looked terrible. But they won the game because of turnovers and a kick return. So there's a lot of different ways you know, to win, and Hamilton's going to be pretty good, I think, and so they stole one, and here's Saskatchewan now, lost a game they probably could have and should have won, and this is what we're going to see from week to week. I remember when the Bombers were here last year, Christian, early in the season, I don't know if you recall or not, but they were up 17 nothing at halftime, came out in the third quarter, had a chance to score, they were on about the two-yard line of the Lions, and didn't get it in, they had gone up 24 nothing, and the Lions would have quit, that would have been it. Uh, but then BC roared back. Uh, Travis Lule came off the bench. Bombers turned the ball over five times in that game, and they lost twenty to seventeen. Mm-hmm. And it's a game that haunted them all season long. So you've got to, you know, you can't give games like that away. And that's one of the things we'll be watching here in the early going with Winnipeg and all teams, of course, but more particularly Winnipeg because we're more interested in them. Right. Uh, games that they should win, and there were two of them last year. Uh, that came back to bite them, and, and one of them was out here. I don't know if the players still remember that. I'm sure they do, and whether or not it makes any difference tomorrow night, I don't know. I do remember it. I was actually in BC in Victoria visiting my sister, watching that one in a in a restaurant somewhere, and watching it all kind of fall apart. You mentioned last night's game. Was there any chatter about what happened with Zach Caleros and Simone Lawrence today? Oh, yeah. Yeah, lots of it. You'll hear the reaction of Matt Nichols and uh, Mike Riley on our pregame show tomorrow night. And they both, here's the problem with Simone Lawrence, and I say the problem. He's well-liked by everybody in the league. Simone's a real character, but he's a likable guy, and so it's very difficult for Mike Riley and Matt Nichols to come out and say, hey, you know, they should throw that bum out of the game, and, you know, what a dirty play it was. Neither of them would use that word. Now, Riley said he didn't like the hit, and that's what we're trying to take out of the game. 
Uh, Matt Nichols didn't even go that far. He said, I don't think there was any malicious intent. And I agree with him. I don't think there was malicious intent. Simone Lawrence is one of those guys who plays on the edge. And in football, guys who play on the edge are sometimes going to run afoul of the rules. And that's the nature of the game. And I don't know how we ever get it totally out. But that hit was, in my opinion, that was a dirty hit. He should be suspended. uh, And I'm anxious to see what the league does. And and I guess because it was that Calaris, it, it makes it even worse. You know, here's a guy who's trying to salvage his career and avoid these concussions. And uh, three plays into the season, he takes a, a shot like that. It was uh, it was really unfortunate. Uh, and as I say, you'll hear players comment on it tomorrow night. But nobody that I talk to is throwing Simone Lawrence under the bus, or not publicly anyway, let's put it that way. Well, if it's not dirty, it's at least irresponsible, right? Because yeah. the the quarterback is sliding, and they, they talk about all offseason protecting the quarterback, increasing safety. It was yeah. a 25-yard penalty, but I've also been seeing the case made today, well, if it's a 25-yard penalty, shouldn't you know you don't need two of those. If it's egregious enough, kick him out on the first one. Yeah, they should have. And the league apparently has even confessed that today privately that he should have been thrown out of the game. And that's, I think, where the command center has to come in and and say to the referee, look, you maybe didn't get as good a look at that as we did from the camera angles. You got to throw that guy out of the game. And I wish they I wish they would have done that last night. I'd love to ask uh, Adam Big Hill. I didn't get a chance to. But if you're a defensive player, how do you sort of get in your mind that, oh, here's a quarterback running out of the pocket now, so, so I've got to gear it down on this play a little bit. You know, that's a hard mentality to, to sort of get your head around, I think. These guys are coached to seek and destroy. You know, I know that sounds dramatic, but that's, that's what football yeah, is. Pretty much. Linebackers and defensive linemen are coached to seek and destroy. And I, when I say destroy, I don't mean be dirty. Uh, so... You know, if you say to them, look, you've got to, you've got to pick your spots. Certain plays you can't hit as hard as you can on other plays. But that's a very difficult thing for a defensive player to get his head around. I'm not trying to defend Lawrence. Right. I'm just saying it's not, as, it's not as cut and dried as simple as we'd like it to be. Of course. Excited to get it going again tomorrow? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm anxious to see what these guys have. I think this is a very good bomber team, uh, you know, and I'm anxious to see them roll it out tomorrow night and uh, – and see if I think they'll come out really playing well. I expect them to come out playing well tomorrow night because they have a core of their team back. 16, I think, of their 24 players who started the West Final last year are back this year as starters. So I don't see any reason why they can't come out of the gate strong. All right, 7 o'clock pregame coverage tomorrow, 9 o'clock kickoff. Bob, appreciate it. Good luck on the call tomorrow. Okay, Christian, thanks. <laughs> Well, the day we never thought would arrive. The Toronto Raptors are NBA champions. Say it, Ty. The Toronto Raptors are NBA champions. And you can never, ever take that away from me. So that's you good. specifically, specifically me. <laughs> now, can we just flash back to the last big man panel when you said there was a twelve percent chance the Toronto Raptors would close it out in Game Six? And yeah, I was, and that's... Kyle and I were both fairly confident they would do it, and we were right. Did you see Endgame before when Doctor Strange was playing out every scenario in his movies. head? I watched <laughs> that was me, and then I was like, "Okay, Kevin Durant has to not come back. Clay Thompson's got to injure himself in the second. 
And Kyle Lowry's got to score uh, 11, 50, the first 11 15 points, points in, the in the first quarter. And then they might win. That's the 12%. And then it happened. And it took every second of that game for it to happen. Typical basketball fashion, the last half minute takes 15 minutes. Well, how long did that last .9 seconds take? Oh, like, my God. It was, over, it was over at that point. But Steph Curry got a pretty good look from three. He's made shots with less Danny Green threw the ball that. away, and all of a sudden you're thinking, no, no. Danny there was Green. a moment there where that was the last, because I'm like, well, how the Raptors have done everything and made me happy. What's the last sort of, like, gut punch they could give me it's like oh there it is and i'm like no and then yeah i've seen steph make way more three-pointers with less of an open shot than he had there in that game and just didn't go in i mean steph looked pretty gassed that game it's just been such a long after the game three where he got 47 points i know he had the couple shots to win game five but otherwise he was almost not relevant it's weird. Well, I mean, when you He's get double teamed, I mean, well, yeah. yeah, when you Without get past Thompson. when you get past half court and there's just two people on you, regardless of if you have the ball, right. that's gonna that's gonna wear you out. So the Raptors were saying we're gonna make Iguodala, Cousins, and Green beat us, and Iguodala played pretty well. He did. Cousins yeah. played pretty well and didn't get a ring. Nope. And uh, but ultimately, that game changes completely when Clay Thompson. Well, as we now know, tears his ACL. Oh, I feel so bad for Clay. I love late Clay. in the third it quarter. Just sucks. Uh, he had 30 points after he made the two free throws. On 12 shots. That's and I, do the Raptors win that game if Clay's healthy? No, that was part of the 12% call that I made earlier. I knew that had to happen, you guys. It's so I weird because, you know, obviously, obviously Clay, Thomas, uh, Clay Thompson has missed shots, right? But I just don't remember seeing him miss shots. They all just seem to go in. Yeah. And it was just so effortless. And he has such a nice jump shot. And it's just, yeah. Especially when they kind of realize, okay, maybe Steph is not 100% or he's tired. They just would have kept feeding the ball to Clay, And I don't I don't conceivably see him missing that many more shots if he keeps playing. Ultimately, this series is very different if Durant and Thompson are healthy for all the games. Yeah. But they weren't. And so you play the game that is in front of you. This, this team, Thompson has played 100 games the last five years. That's going to wear on you at some point. He had a hamstring injury, missed game three. Does that connect it at all to this knee injury? Who knows? Durant has played a lot of basketball the last five years. All of these Warriors have played a lot of basketball these last five years. It was clear that they were kind of tired. Mm-hmm. And you look at it, and they did it to themselves. Like You look at the Raptors. They rested Kawhi plenty of times throughout the season. Warriors didn't Load do that. Management. What is audio? Because there, there were a lot of keyboard physicians say, talking about <laughs> Kevin Durant and his injury and not coming back. Not a lot of people talking about, well, Clay missed game five and then he came back. Game and he's, or game three, excuse me. Came back and then was hurt again. So, yeah, it's um, is there a connection? We don't know. Obviously, having that much wear and tear on your body for that many years is a connection to increased chance of injury. We know that much. Right. All right, we've talked a lot about the Warriors' injuries. Let's celebrate the Raptors, Ty. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I was just, like, having flashbacks to, like, growing up or, like, uh, going on a date when I was, like, 16 and just trying to talk to adults about sports. And they'd be like, well, which sports do you like? And I'd be like, I like the Raptors. And they'd just kind of be like, oh, the Raptors? And then not talk to me and make me feel awful. Yeah, like my whole life I kind of think like that. Like, And then you meet some people who are Raptors fans and they do talk to you, but they make you feel bad for liking basketball. And now it's like, guess what? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. 
Doesn't matter. I don't even remember the dad's name. I know that one thing yeah. did happen to me. <laughs> I have a vivid memory. Well, All there's right. always been a like a. It's basketball hasn't been sort of. It's not been marginalized in Canada, but there's always been like it's not you. You don't just go to a place. And there's go, hockey and then there's, there's hockey. Someone you literally to- commented on like our Power ninety seven post writing. Who cares? And I just wanted to be like, buddy, what are you even <laughs> doing? Like, how disconnected from reality can you be? There's always just been like pockets of people. It's like you go. Oh my god! This person that I this person likes basketball. I have to corner them off and talk to them for hours about it because I don't right. get a chance to do it very because often. Because they make you feel bad. People would make you feel bad for talking about it. Like I'd always just feel so isolated. Mm-hmm. It well, I mean, I I didn't grow up a Raptors fan, but I you know I watch watch college basketball a lot, yeah. and I've watched a lot of NBA. That's because you're a fan of mathematics. And <laughs> I know a lot of Raptors fans, right? Almost everyone that I I know that likes basketball likes the Raptors. And today is a day that I know they never thought would come. Nope. No. Never. Nope. But how much did it shift? How much did you want to allow yourself to believe it could happen <laughs> the day that Kawhi Leonard was acquired by the uh, I was in shock. But also, can I just say, uh, how old are you? I'm 27. How old are you? 35. Okay, I don't, like, I think the Blue Jays won a World Series when I was born. 93, yep. Yeah. So that's when I was born. I had never, ever even seen a Canadian team win a professional championship ever. CFL, sorry, it doesn't count. That's well, they're like, all Canadian. They're right. all Canadian. Anyone can, like, doesn't count to me. Uh, this was just like, I couldn't believe it. I, I still can't believe it. I'm going to be smiling for weeks. <laughs> How good do you feel about Kyle Lowry getting a ring, Kyle? Oh, man, that was... A fellow Kyle. A fellow Kyle, yes, as a fellow... One Kyle to another, I feel amazing. He has been very maligned. People say, like, I think Fred Van Vliet had a quote when, I mean, Kyle Lowry went into the press pool yes. and asked him a question. He said, like, the most sort of maligned. I'm like, well, clearly, like, Kevin Durant is probably the most maligned. Slandered, of that slandered. But, yeah, we always said, oh, playoff Kyle, another kind of clunker. Well, he, the first he, two series, he wasn't that good. Yeah, no. well, his, his playoff started with a, with a goose egg. It was Fred Van Vliet. <laughs> oh, yeah, Fred Van Vliet, before he had a kid, was... He had 14 points against Philly. Yeah, it was in the, uh, in the whole series. Yeah, but <laughs> and Danny so- Green traded Mojo. I think <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's 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 really cool because he's he fight, fights so hard. The the he's not a tall guy. He's just like a doesn't have an NBA body really. He's got the Nelly band aid on the Nelly band aid. Yeah, all those guys. It's just really it's it's neat to see Kyle. It's neat to see an undrafted guy like Fred Van Vliet. Pascal Siakam from Cameroon with the. You matched the leading scorer last night. Yeah, I mean, it is nuts to say that the Raptors won a title and they had no lottery players yeah. on their team. So no, that, no, nobody drafted it within the first 14 picks yeah. of, the, of the draft, yeah, yeah. which is crazy. It, yeah. Especially in the NBA. Like in other sports, yeah, you get a ton of guys that come from everywhere. But basketball is a very, you get drafted high, you play good sport. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, wow. Yeah, there's so many different stories to come out of this. Yeah, you mentioned Fred Van Vliet. Kyle Lowry. We can worry later if Kawhi Leonard stays or not. Doesn't matter. But it's one of the great postseason runs we've ever seen. I'm not worried about him staying or going now because he did what he set out yeah. to do. Masai Ujiri did what he forever. set out to do. And, and I, the weird, the whole weirdness of the upcoming NBA free agency, maybe he looks at the puzzle pieces and checks the tea leaves. Maybe he just goes, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stick it out. I don't know. I'm feeling, I don't believe he will stay, but I'm feeling more unsure okay. at this point. Before, it was like, he's leaving for sure. This is not happening. But you never know. Stranger I think he's going to stay. But uh, if he doesn't, whatever. I think he's going to stay now, you guys. And also, I called the finals, so I'm pretty correct all the time. <laughs> I had my 12%. I'm just pumping my own tires. Yeah. Getting high on my You're own pumping your tires here. despite the fact you did not think they would win last night. I gave him a 12% <laughs> odds. And what had to happen for them to win? What had to happen? All right, so final question. How much money are you going to spend on championship merchandise? I already asked my brother. I said, what are we dropping? 
Well, we drop it. I already picked out a hat and a shirt, and I said, you find the jerseys, and I'll buy it. What do you do? Like, I don't care. <laughs> I might see if I can find a shirt. Yeah, I think I need one. A kawaii tattoo? Ooh, a claw tattoo? Or can I get a tattoo of his, like, laugh in, like, phonetically <laughs> on, my, on my arm? <laughs> <laughs> I'll go for that. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, it doesn't matter. The, the Warriors were injured. They did it to themselves. I uh, hope everyone gets better. Like, I didn't even feel good when Clay went down. That was so gross. Oh, I could feel yeah. the pain. But uh, they did it. Canada has a championship. Weeks ago at the Canadian Racquetball Championships, Winnipeg's Cheryl Adlard, chosen as the recipient of the Susan Livingston Award, given yearly to a person who exemplifies sportsmanship and the promotion of women in sports. Cheryl served as Executive Director of Racquetball Canada from 2010 to 2018, despite having not played the sport. Cheryl joins us now on the CGOB Sports Show. First, Cheryl, congratulations on the honor. How did you wind up in racquetball? Well, I have been involved with uh, women's sports for quite a while. I was the executive director for uh, racquetball, for, I mean, for Ringette Manitoba for uh, nearly a decade. And uh, I was approached by Ron Brown, who was the president of uh, Racquetball Canada, and said, there's a position that's opening up for executive director for Racquetball Canada. And I think that you might be a good candidate and would you be interested in applying for this position? It's, uh, it's another, you know, it's another executive uh, position. So I was actually very intrigued by uh, moving to a national from a provincial sports organization. So I applied and um, I was shortlisted and I became the executive director in 2010 for Racquetball Canada and was honored to be in that position. So what was that? I mean, was there a learning curve when you took over that sport at a national level? There was a learning curve. And I think in some ways, when you are not a member of the, of that sporting organization, you have the ability to say, why are you doing it this way? Rather than coming internally where you've been part of that process, when you're coming from another organization and another outlook, you're really saying, why and and how come these processes are in place? I have an idea of something that might be better. And because you're a new voice, I think that people are more open and receptive to that, uh, to suggestions, to, to subtle uh, differences in the way that they have been doing things. Because if things were successful the way they were, then you would leave them alone. But things aren't always successful in sports and finding new and different ways is always an opportunity for learning. And I believe that coming in from another organization and, and coming with a new perspective and having a board that was open to a new perspective was critical for moving racquetball forward. And then it, um, interacting on a national level it was a whole new set of organizations I was working with, working with the Olympic Committee, working with Sport Manitoba, and uh, that was exciting, and uh, it was really a challenge, and I was excited to be in, in such a challenging position. So how much learning was there, both you from that organization and them from you in your eight years as executive director? I I think there was there was a fair degree of learning on both sides. I mean, for me, it was learning a completely new sport, one that I wasn't aware of, and the intricacies of of that sport. And learning, I think organizations move forward when they trust each other. And in the beginning, it's really like a new dating somebody new, and it's like, oh, you know, there's that honeymoon period, and then there's the I'm not so sure. 
And then there's acceptance and honesty and um, mutual respect. And I had a, I was an organization. I was part of an organization that trusted me and who I trusted would come when I came forward with, with ideas or changes were open. And and sometimes the answer was no. You know, no, that won't work. And this is why it won't work. And we're not doing that. But most of the time. I found that they were very receptive to that. And I'd say, I'd say a year in, and it was, I think they were excited with the changes that I suggested, and that created more openness so that we as an organization grew together, myself with my own experience and them with seeing changes that were quality changes. You mentioned that you've been a, a big advocate for women in sport. Why is it important to really speak up and, and drive that support? You know, sport is so important to women, and and sometimes women approach sport a little differently than what men do. Uh, women are more when interact as I like to think of it as a ball rather than a hierarchy. They're much more cooperative, etc. But I, I'm not sure what where we lost a couple of generations, and women are moving into sports. But for a while. Sports wasn't an <clears throat> sorry wasn't an option for women, and it's such a life, uh, such an incredible life learning experience that that I think girls, women should be part of. But you look at an administrative level, and it is top heavy male. Like I don't know how many times I would walk into a large meeting, and there would be ninety percent male, ten percent female, and sometimes because of that focus on male sports and male sports everywhere, you know, like we don't watch a lot of female sports that I had a voice that was saying, wait, you're forgetting that there is, you know, 50% of the population. You're talking about what you're doing for men's sport, but women need just the same opportunities as, as men do to be able to participate in sports and have the incredible um, opportunities that sport can deliver for women. I, I think that girls are better people if they are involved with sport. And I think that administrations are better organizations if they have women as part of that organization. So how do we get more voices in the room from women? That is a very difficult question. I think it, in some ways, it's women promoting women. Uh, I think that... Uh, it's really important that if you're a female and you're in this sort of position that you make sure that you promote women on boards. You make sure that you watch um, your high-performance programs and make sure that it's receptive to the women that are in that sport. So I think that we learn by supporting and bringing other women, that women support women. Not that, not to say that men aren't, because I had an amazing uh president who supported bringing women into the sport and I but I think it comes from women advocating and coming forward it's not easy but I think we're making it I I I see a serious change in the last decade I'm starting to see inroads like coaching association of Canada I see a female um, executive director I see more people than the administrative level that wasn't there when I first started a decade ago and as more women come in they make it uh, more attractive for other women to be part of the sport. And in some ways, it also sending the message to men that women can actually do this job, so you should start hiring more of them? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, 
as I said, there were not very many female executive directors. And then you're sitting there talking with them, uh, with other executive directors, and there and other presidents are going, wait, you know, this this person has value. This person is knowledgeable. This person is driving another organization forward. And as a result, even when I was working with racquetball, I had offers of positions uh, from other sports, national sports, just because they saw someone who was competent and in a position of power, who is female. And it brings a different perspective. And I think that, I mean, I just think that it's critical for all organizations to have that as, uh, have women as part of their organization. And, and so I worked very hard in promoting and reminding people that women are critical for success. Now, you were recently awarded the Susan Livingston Award, uh, which is presented to a person who exemplifies sportsmanship and the promotion of women in sports. What did that award mean to you? Oh, I might get a little emotional on this one. Um, the person who this award is named after is Susan Livingston. And she was someone I met through racquetball. And she was a force of nature when you met her. She was the most giving person. Uh, positive person I have ever met. And she was diagnosed with breast cancer and stage four metastasized. Um, and she, she, she was head on with her cancer. She was open about it and she was inclusive. She wanted people to know what she was going through, but she did it in such a positive, powerful manner that she was an inspiration. And when Susan died, it was a huge blow to racquetball because she was she had been so important at the national level, at the provincial level, and just at the at the civic level that we wanted to do something to honor her legacy. So we renamed one of the awards for Susan. And the fact that I was nominated and selected for something that was named after Susan, who was such an incredible woman is an honor beyond belief. Like it, she exemplified the, um, the attributes that we're looking for in a person, in a, in a woman, in a person, in an athlete, in a player. She was the epitome of that. And to be, um, have an award named after her, it means so much. It's such an honor. Well, Cheryl, I, uh, congratulations again on that honor. I appreciate you taking time to talk to me tonight and uh, best of luck as you go forward here. Thank you very much. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck, but Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?